Welcome to the Entrepreneur's MBA, bringing you lessons from real-life entrepreneurs they don't teach in business school. Here's your host, business coach and marketing strategist, Adam Kipnis. In growing a business, there's really three things that are critically important. It's, and it's not the product necessarily. It's not even what you can do as a personality, but it starts with the strategy. What are you going to do? Second step is you got to get the stuff done. Where are you going to go? How are you going to advertise? How are you going to put yourself out there? And then the third is the message. What are you saying? How do you say it? And who do you say it to? If you can master those three parts of business, now you can build a revenue stream and we can build the rest of the business around it. This is Adam Kittness, host of the Entrepreneur's MBA podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today and listening in. Um, I do want to thank First and foremost, my sponsor, Craig Shelley Beverly Hills, a exclusive jewelry company that has a heart. Every sale that they make, a portion of it goes to charity. Uh, I invite you to go to craigshelley.com and check out what they have. They have great jewelry, watches, necklaces, rings, really great stuff for you to find um, for your loved ones and for yourself. And also the C-Suite Network, they are the platform that hosts this podcast. And I want to thank them for all of their support and distribution of the show around the world. Today's guest has built businesses, small to big, done over 285 million, maybe 300 million now in revenue over the course of his career. He's going to talk to us a little bit about scaling, a little bit about marketing, a little bit about his path. Seo Jordan, thanks for taking the time to join me today. Adam, I'm glad to be here. Yes. And Let's start a little bit at the beginning because you were, I always ask this question, were you one of those kids selling gum to the nurses as soon as you were born? Or is this something that came later in life? For you, it was maybe not gum to nurses, but you started early. Tell, tell us a little bit about that. Dude, I got to tell you, um, it was more like the, uh, the the kids you see in the movies that are like in Mad Max, where they're like trying to sell odds and ends and whatnot. So I, I grew up like basically poor. And here's what I mean by that, because I think we've lost lost sight of what that means, because so many people in America, including, uh, you know, who we, who we would call poor, aren't, in my opinion. So we were so poor, we couldn't buy food, couldn't buy clothes. Uh, in fact, my feet are still messed up because my mom couldn't afford to buy shoes. So, you know, I had shoes on that were like four sizes too small. Uh, so as a result of that, you know, I was, um, if I wanted something, I had to go earn it. Um, so it was more out of necessity, I would say, but I think my biggest lesson came from, um, a combination of serendipity and something inside of me. I was delivering papers as a young kid. And I noticed that some of the ladies in the townhouse complex we lived in had bird feeders. I didn't know what they were. So I asked, um, at the same time in, uh, I think it was boy's life or something like that, which of course dates me, uh, you know, <laughs> boy's life was this. It, for those of you who don't know, it's, it was a magazine and a magazine is made of paper and they used to mail it to your house and the mail is delivered by this guy in a truck out on the street. Uh, of course, that's just a joke. Um, so the, this thing in the boy's life had a, a bird feeder you could make out of a little jar and some clothespins you could glue it on. Basically, you're just rolling the thing in peanut butter, then rolling uh, the peanut butter over bird seed. Obviously, the birds are going to love it, right? So it's... I made one for one of the ladies. She wound up calling, you know, her friends and pretty soon I was getting orders, right? And so this is like every entrepreneur's dream. 
what I, for whatever reason, I came to the understanding, I still remember it, uh, that if I could find the buyers first, everything else would take care of itself. And, you know, fortunately that business, you know, I, I probably had one of the first recurring revenue businesses I, I could claim uh, because of course you've got to come back and, you know, the ladies didn't want to refill the, the peanut butter and the bird seed. They just wanted to enjoy the birds. But for, a, a, you know, eight or nine year old, that sounds like work. So, you know, I let that slide, but not the principle. And so I'd, I'd say out of necessity came uh, the invention, you know, like the saying goes. And fortunately, you know, I was able to, to take that, that lesson and apply it throughout my career. That's interesting. Can you, I, this is a tough question, but can you sort of pinpoint the recognition of that? Like, what, I mean, as an eight-year-old, understanding recurring income is probably a little bit tough, but <laughs> at, what, at what point did that light bulbish go off a little bit for you? I, it, funny enough, it was it was immediately after the woman gave me the money, right? So I didn't even have to ask her for money, Adam. She literally just handed me five bucks. And so as she's handing me the $5, uh, I still remember like the, so to give a little bit of background to that, I had a, a photographic memory. I had a traumatic brain injury uh, fairly young. It was in junior high school. And so it, you know, they say your brains were scrambled. And so I've got this weird memory where before the accident, I can remember, you know, pictures after the accident, it, it's a little bit more jumbled. So when she handed me this five, the $5 bill, um, you know, that's when the realization hit. It's like, well, geez, if, if I find the buyers, that's actually how I, I thought of it at the time. If I find the buyers, everything takes care of itself. And I think it was just because she, of her own volition, just handed me the, the money. <laughs> which is taken, you know, taken on the face of it, it was really a remarkable experience. You know, very, very few times does an entrepreneur have something, and this, this is really important. Very few entrepreneurs have a product that generates that kind of response. Now we, we see it in things like Facebook and Instagram, smartphones, computers, iPads, you know, we, we, we see it, but because we see the finished product and we don't have like what I went through, the actual experience of investigating the opportunity, which was, Hey, what's that red thing hanging? You know, the, the bird feeder. And then having a, a conversation with the potential customer. Oh, it's, you know, a bird feeder. And I really, and she went on about the birds. Now at the time I didn't think about, I didn't care, you know, a little boy who cares about birds. Like I was, you know, going to strangle them or something like that. I wasn't going to, uh, you know, I wasn't interested in feeding them. Um, so very few people have the, you know, the investigation with the customer, building a prototype and then delivering it and getting the money. And, you know, I know we're, we're jumping the gun here a little bit, but really if more entrepreneurs would do that, I mean, at that level where, you know, your, your prototype, and it was ugly, man. I, I remember the, you know, the tops, you know, there was no quality control. So the tops of the clothespins were all at different heights which by the way, there was so much value communicated, the customer didn't care. She didn't care that it looked like a work of art. What she cared about was the question, does this thing get me more birds or not? And on the face of it, it the, the value proposition communicated by the product communicated everything on the face of it. 
right? So uh, let me jump ahead. If you think of, of the demo that Steve Jobs did of the first iPhone, we, we, we forget that prior to that, you know, you either had a BlackBerry with a really small keyboard on it, or you were doing the, you know, triple quad presses to get one letter out on your flip phone. <laughs> so when he turned the phone and the display changed, just that simple act communicated value. And so on the face of the product, so much value was communicated that the customer felt compelled to give me money. It was all of that, you know, built into one. And I'm not saying that my little eight-year-old brain conceived of that, but as, as my experience in entrepreneurship developed and I was able to cer certainly repeat that process, I came to realize, you know, if you will, this is like a maxim of business. This is a, you know, a universal law of business that if, if your product communicates value truly, then people will just give you money. Now, here's the challenge. That's a really high bar. And it's not that you have to have that to get into business, but if somebody has dreams of, you know, we throw around things like, oh, this is the next Facebook. You know, I, I typically roll my eyes and say, okay, no, it's not. And I know it's not because when I see the product, like it doesn't communicate the value. So if you want something to scale like Facebook, it's got to reach that high of a bar. You know, if you want something that's going to do less than that, which trust me, there's plenty of room between zero and Facebook, right? Because you're talking about <laughs> like hundreds of billions, uh, you know, in terms of what they've been able to get in, in backing and revenue and all that. So this is a wide, wide uh, range of possibilities. So backing off from that, it would be, you know, okay, if, if you show the product and they don't get it right away, what that's telling you is that it's going to take more work to get your product to market. And, and on the work side, obviously, regardless of the, of the product, if somebody works hard enough and smart enough, they can make a business out of something that people don't even want, but that's really hard to do. So where do you fall on the, if you build it, they will come versus find out what they want and then go build it? <laughs> I've got a rather extreme position, which is build it and they will come is a great sounding cliche from the, you know, the front of the room, somebody on the stage selling you, you know, a load of books or a load of courses. Um, and, you know, there's a reason for that. It's that, you know, probably 80% of the people that are thinking about doing something probably aren't. You know, they're not going to take the risk of going out there and starting a business in a meaningful way. And they're really more interested in the process. You know, the process meaning going to the seminars and, and buying the books. Uh, but from my perspective, in the sense of let's go like actually do something, that's a waste of time. Um, you know, so really it comes down to a, a, a rather harsh conversation, it seems for most people of, you know, are you really interested in building something or do you get satisfaction out of the possibility and that excitement that comes from the possibility? Um, you know, and that, that's of course a, a personal decision, but you know, I, since I'm focused on the, the practical and actually helping people that want to do something, um, if somebody is going to go do something, and that could be you know, just having a conversation about the product with a, a potential customer, building something, and then going back to that customer and seeing you know, what they think of it, um, then it's, it's build it, insert, uh, you know, multiple iterations of your attempts and failures, and then they'll come. <laughs> That's, 
you know, the, 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 the cliche misses the, the middle part, right? And even, you know, even when you see in the movies when they try and communicate that, I'm thinking of the Kevin Costner film, um, you know, I think it was Field of Dreams. Yeah. The dude had multiple iterations of the field, right? So he tried multiple things. And you know, again, this, this is because in our world, it's so easy to see a finished product, uh, you know, that we miss all the, the multiple prototypes and attempts. Like we don't, most people didn't see where Facebook started, which was a really cheesy website called Hot or Not, which in true college kid fashion was there just to judge how hot somebody was. Uh, talk about, you know, public shaming, my goodness. Uh, you know, and then that morphed over a long period of time into what we see now as Facebook. But even after that, hot or not, you know, Zuckerberg stole the source code, uh, you know, started to build Facebook. But even then, they only released it to very limited audiences, right? So they, they made it unattainable uh, or at least restricted in its access, you know, Ivy League schools first, then they opened it up to state schools and then, you know, eventually the world. And so we saw Facebook, I would say, fully baked in the sense that it was fully baked for a mass audience. And so we just missed the... We missed the reality of all the, the prototyping and failures and, uh, you know, mind-numbingly long work hours that went into trying to figure it out. Yes, and, and with that, um, you know, that's the, the, the iceberg example for entrepreneurs, right? We, we see the tip of the iceberg, but you don't see the 85% the of the work. Yeah, right. um, what, you built companies, right? You built a publishing company from a $25,000 loan to whatever, $26 million. You've now created over $80 million in, in market cap for people that you're working with, that work that goes on under the surface, besides just sheer desire and will, what are some things that you've seen successful people do that has allowed them to get through some of those tough times, to keep iterating, to learn from what they've done, right? Some of it is sure determination, but there are some skills. What are some of those skills? Yeah, I mean, some of the skills are, uh, and, you know, we started talking about um, Think and Grow Rich, and, you know, Napoleon Hill talked about habit force, right? And this, this doesn't need to be something that, that's mystical, but it's, it's more that, and I'll, I'll borrow from, you know, a, a military, quasi-military term, which is when, you, when you're under pressure, you're going to drop to your lowest level of training. You know, so for an entrepreneur, it would be, you know, when you get stressed, you're going to drop to your lowest level of, of habits, you know, um, another way to, to think about it is identity. You know, do you, again, going out to left field, would you call yourself a runner? If you do, it's probably not a big deal for you to wake up early, put your shoes on and go out and run. You know, if you consider yourself a weightlifter, it's not a big deal for you to arrange your schedule so that you can get your lifting time in. But what we miss about that is that these are identity issues, meaning how, who you think you are, and then what that will do in terms of, you know, your brain machinery to present to the world. So I think it's, it's easier than people let on because that identity is malleable, right? If you think about it, you're, you're nowhere near what you were like when you were eight years old or 18 or, you know, depending on how old you are, 20 or 30 or 40, et cetera. And so we, we do this naturally, you know, our identity changes as we, as we age, um, we can either do it intentionally or we can kind of do it by accident. So if somebody is wanting to be an entrepreneur, then it would behoove you to have the identity that you just, you can gut it out, you know, you can deal with the stress and the pressures 
and that will in time as you as you take on that identity will then develop what we would call discipline and stick to and you know grit or whatever i don't know why i think because i've mentioned boys life i'm like stuck in my 1950s <laughs> references gosh uh anyway so all those things will come out as a byproduct but so the main point in that is it's attainable by anyone where you don't there's nothing magical about you know, a Marcus Lemonis or a Tony Robbins or a Napoleon Hill or a Mark Zuckerberg. I mean, they're, they're just regular people. And so the, the message I like to communicate to entrepreneurs is that you can do it. You just have to do what's really necessary, not what, you know, is theoretically necessary. How do you know what's necessary? Well, the easiest way to do it is to, uh, you know, take a look at, at past success um, and then ask question, ask a very simple question. We learned it when we were three, uh, which is either why, uh, or the, what I call the adult version of that is how do you know that? Right. So somebody proposes something like I'm proposing something. Well, let say, oh, you're saying, you know, if you, uh, you know, if, if you identify with something, you're, you're going to be able to, how do you know that that's going to force me to give you that information? Um, you know, then there, there are a few other questions that you can ask, but if you start there, uh, it's going to enable you to get to the reality, right? And so what I've, what I've found over the years in, in talking to entrepreneurs about what it takes to be successful is that most people are just guessing. And it really does come down to, oh, they read it in a book somewhere or you know, they've, they've you know, gone to seminars for 15 years and they're really just regurgitating what they've heard. And the problem that I found uh, you know, throughout my life really is that things change when you, know, you get out there in the real world, right? The sort of military saying is you know, no plan survives contact with the enemy. And that applies in business as well. So I think asking that question is important, but then also looking to people that have demonstrably done something, um, you know, which is why I reject out of hand anyone who, you know, has it because, you know, they're, they're, what they're probably communicating is their best guess based on information that they've, that they've gotten, not that there's anything wrong with that. I just don't think that they're, they should be considered an authority. That, that makes sense. Um, one thing that I've learned in, in working with entrepreneurs over the years and having you know, th these conversations on the podcast is, is the marketing side of it. Many entrepreneurs are not natural marketers. They're, they're practitioners or they've got a product and the marketing comes second. Now, obviously that there's a large number of people that are great marketers and, and that's where they become successful. But for the rank and file person that didn't grow up marketing, they grew up honing their craft or building their product. They still need the marketing side of it. What are some thoughts that you have on how to get that going? Do you hire it right away? Do you model it? You know, what is your advice to people who need to grow because you've been successful in helping yourself and <laughs> others grow? Yeah, so it, it would start for, at, first by asking the, that same question, um, you know, to whether it's a, a book, you know, so if you're reading a book, investigate the book with the question like, okay, how does the author know this information? And if that doesn't come out of the book, then, you know, get another one from that author or just abandon it. Uh, and then if you're, you know, you're going to go to an agency, it would be to test on the same thing. Uh, I recently had a conversation with an agency. Um, they were featured by Facebook as having doubled the revenue of a company. 
And so I had to ask the rep multiple times this question. Did you actually take the, the business from, you know, say 4 million to 8 million in a year? Or did you over, you know, a 30, 60 day period, make them enough money so that if you multiplied that and annualized it, you would have doubled it? Because those are two very different things. Right. And she eventually had to admit, which it was telling that she didn't immediately respond with the correct answer, which is, well, no, we annualized it, so we're just bullshitting you. And by the way, so is Facebook. I want to make that point. Like Facebook obviously didn't do any diligence. They're just putting it forward to, of course, promote their platform because they want you to spend money with them. And so this is, you know, this is why the reason why I point these things out, although I don't have any love lost for Facebook, is to hopefully help people not fall into this trap of just taking things on face value. So there's a practical example of, of how to use that question. So, you know, should you, should you hire, should you do it yourself? Um, if someone is as a, if someone is a practitioner, chiropractor, dentist, right, you have to do stuff during the day to get paid. My advice would be to hire somebody, um, you know, bring in a, an equity partner or somebody like that. You want somebody with, with skin in the game, I had a, a digital agency for a long time. Uh, we always had skin in the game. We gave refunds. Uh, you know, it was normal for us to go into a, a client and say, hey, if we don't make you money, we're going to refund your, you know, your first month. We'll work another 30 days. If we still don't make you any money, then we'll just part as friends. If we tested something, like truly tested something, it was always with our money first. And of course, you know, I would implore everyone to ask the same of your agencies. Why do I do that? Well, because if there's no skin in the game, then you don't know if the information you're getting is a guess or has been tested. Here's a simple way to do it. An agency or somebody in the, in the business proposes an idea to you. You say, okay, we'll do that. You pay for it. If it makes money, I'll give you half of the profit. You're gonna find out really quickly how much uh, enthusiasm and commitment that person has with their suggestion. Now, I would also say, if you, if you think, if you're a practitioner or a solo entrepreneur and you're thinking of, of your marketing, if you think about it more like an investment rather than, um, actually, let me, let me not make it too long with it. If you think about it this way, you'll have better results. So you sit down and you're going to market. You say, okay, I'm going to spend $1,000 on this marketing. Decide first how much money you want back from your marketing. Is it 1,000? Do you want to break even? Is it 10,000? Is it a million? Going through that exercise will force you to, number one, decide on what success means for you and then how to get it. So the next question would be, after you decide how much, would be, okay, how do I do that? You know, an easy way to do it would be to take what you sell, you do some easy division, figure out how many of those you're going to need to sell, and then go to the next step, which is figure out what your profit margin is. So let's say you figure, okay, I want to sell a hundred items and you're spending a thousand dollars. You're going to get a hundred items in, but you only make a dollar, right? Profit. Well, then you're, you're looking at the papers. Okay. I'm going to spend a thousand bucks, but I'm only going to make a hundred dollars. Well, how can that work? Well, are you going to make it up in volume, right? Are they going to buy more stuff later? So this is a very simple exercise that most entrepreneurs never go through it at any stage, let alone at the most important stage, which is at the beginning. And so that practitioner will then be able to understand after going through the process, figuring out how many do I have to sell? How much money am I gonna make on each one? 
how much time is that going to take? Number one, or better question would be how much time do I have available? You know, is it 15 minutes a day? Is it 30 minutes a day? Whatever it is, just write it down. And then you'll, you will be able to make the determination. Can you realistically do what you just laid out on, on paper in the time that you have available? If the answer is a, you know, hard, like no or hell no, then figure out, okay, is there anybody who's, you know, reasonably skilled that could take this, this new plan, uh, meaning in your business that you can, you can hand it off to. Um, and I would say more importantly, if you do go to an agency, now you have a document to guide them by say, hey, look, here, here's, here's my math. Can you meet these objectives? And then it, it's a simple yes or no. That makes so much sense. So much sense. So last question for me is whether a business is new and getting going or whether they're a little bit stuck, which um, whether they admit it or not, a lot of businesses are, um, right? Diving into some of the stuff you talked about is a, is a commitment, but they need to start somewhere. Where do right. you advocate people start? Is it something they look at? Is it something they do? Where do they go first? If a business is stuck, and I don't care if you're Facebook or you know you're, you know me, eight years old, start with start small. You know we we think we think way too big when we're stuck, and what I mean by that specifically is start with one customer. You know, start with selling one thing, and I would I I advocate for entrepreneurs to sell the thing themselves. This digital world has has really removed us from the people that are buying our products go out into the world and you know try to strike up a conversation with somebody and then sell them something because if you think about literally someone sitting in their office or you know in the bathroom or they're online and they see your ad aren't you doing the same thing are you you know at a, figuratively walking up to them and interrupting them that's why some people call it interruption marketing well if you do that like you if you set out go somewhere to do that, you are going to gain so much insight into your potential customer, right? The people you think want your product and how the people that convert from perspective to customers and the great mass of people that never will. So that when you come back, you're going to find suddenly you're not stuck. And in the last 10 years, I mean, I've dealt with a lot of companies. I was a confidential CEO, CMO, uh, you know, these were companies that were in trouble. They were, or, you know, they were either in trouble, like losing a lot of money. They wanted to go raise money, but they needed to clean things up. And I say confidential because uh, as a result of all of that stuff, they don't, they didn't want to get it out of the public. Uh, you know, so I've got NDAs, which is why I don't talk about a lot of those things. But in every case, what I saw were, were entrepreneurs that went from like me at eight years old, talking to their customers and they're in their business, understanding what people want to this monolithic thing where all they look at is their Facebook account or their Google account. And, and you know, they're making decisions on the data that they're seeing, which is fine and it's meaningful, but the data by itself is worthless, right? It's, it's the people that are on the other side of the screen that are making the decision and understanding individuals in that population will absolutely lead you to the larger audience. So whether you're starting out and you're stuck, you got a huge business and you're stuck, it devolves to the, the same thing every time. Makes so much sense. Really appreciate the content, the, the history, everything that you've given us. Uh, Maceo Jordan, thanks so much for being with me today. Adam, it was a pleasure.
Definitely. And thanks everyone for listening to the Entrepreneur's MBA podcast. You've been listening to the Entrepreneur's MBA. Download Adam's free book, How to Make More Money in Your Business at www.freebookfromadam.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.